evening, we find ourselves in Romans chapter 10, uh, verses 4 to 10. So follow along as I read, and then we'll pray. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is from the law. The one who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that comes from faith speaks like this. Excuse me. Do not say in your heart, who will go up to heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will go down into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. On the contrary, what does it say? The message is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. This is the message of faith that we proclaim. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. Let's pray together. Father, as we come this evening, we thank you again for your love and your care, for this opportunity to look into your word. We would ask that you would continue to open our hearts and our minds to the things that you have for us, that we might uh, not only recognize truth, but that we would act according to it. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Okay, so uh, in chapter 9, we were dealing with uh, Israel's unbelief. Uh, In chapter 10, we are in Israel's failure, part 2. Israel had, they were ignorant of the provision of Christ and the place of faith. So letter A, Israel's ignorance of the provision of Christ. Starting in verse 4a, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. Uh, so that brings us to, now remember, the law is, in essence, the Old Covenant, okay? Um, so the New Covenant meant the end of the Old. According to Hebrews 8.13, it says, In that he says a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Now uh, Hebrews, uh, some would say Paul wrote it. I don't think so, but I have absolutely no clue as to who may have written it. I, I, there's at least a dozen possible uh, authors as far as people are concerned. Doesn't matter in the sense that it is written probably in that first century, and he's saying that the old is coming to an end. Well, legitimately, the new has already started. Why is the old coming to an end? Well, question for you. When you got saved... How sanctified were you? How about 100%? Now, practically, not much, (laughs) okay? Because we have progressive sanctification whereby the putting off of the old, the putting on of the new. How long does that take? Lifetime. Uh, it, It is quite amazing that as Christians, we have the tendency to judge other people by something that we still see in their life, forgetting that we still got it, some stuff in our lives too. And that's not going away until Jesus comes back. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't be doing something about getting better, putting on righteousness, putting off uh, the conduct of the old man. But when we're older and supposedly more mature, the law of sin is still in our members. If we entertain that a little bit, we can fall on our face just like anybody else. 
And so we're 100% sanctified. The old covenant was 100% finished when Christ died and rose again. New covenant starts. But when did the Jews figure out that the old covenant ended? Well, actually, they haven't even figured it out yet. They, they actually kind of changed the rules as they went along. It's kind of like, oh, uh, the temple has been destroyed, so there's no records of which family lines are the priests or anything like that. There's no altar. There's no sacrifice. Well, you just try and do your best, and, and you know, God will work it out. Wow. <laughs> you guys haven't figured out that one of the reasons for the destruction of the temple was you cannot continue to go on in this false religion. Now, we're not talking about what God commanded. We're talking about what happened in the hearts of the people so that they were thinking, if I just do this, 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 and I'll be okay with God. And they were never coming to faith in the way God had provided. So uh, he starts out here, Christ is the end of the law. Uh, This is a new covenant. Notice, Jews of the New Testament period were trying to fulfill the law by their own efforts, even though the promise of the new covenant said that they had already broken the old. In uh, uh, Jeremiah 31, 32, it says, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant, which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. Um, Men's Bible study on Thursday night. We're going through the book of Isaiah right now. Uh, Somewhere in Russia, I'd like to do a study in the book of Jeremiah because it is interesting you get a whole lot more depth of understanding of what God's talking about. But when you look at Israel's uh, uh, record, okay, Isaiah is speaking, let's say, 700 and something B.C. Jeremiah is speaking about 125 years later. They both speak to the same problems. They're rebuked for this kind of idolatry and this kind of sin in Isaiah. They're rebuked for this kind of idolatry and this kind of uh, sin in Jeremiah, talking about the same stuff. And Jeremiah is just the, okay, I've come to, I've had it up to here book, where he's warning them here, don't continue doing that because you know what happened to your sister Israel, northern ten tribes, they're hauled off into captivity. You guys need to cut it out, stop doing that. And 125 years later, you guys didn't stop doing that. <laughs> now you're really in trouble. Uh, so uh, they, they continued to uh, do these things by their own effort, even though they had already broken the covenant. When, when the covenant is broken, you don't say, oops, and try again. The covenant's been broken. Okay? You, you have to make a, a new, another covenant, and, of course, they never tried to do that. Uh, letter B, the new covenant promises. Uh, l- let me read uh, two passages here. And as you're looking, as I read through it, notice what's found in these two passages. First of all, uh, letter I, a new heart and God's law written on it. They will be his people. He will be, be their God. I am his and he is mine. That kind of thing from the song this morning. They shall all know me. Okay, it's not a matter of, hey, uh, do you know Jesus? No, they're all going to know him. 
cleansing from sin, number four. And then number five, the Spirit of God within you and causes you to walk in my statutes. Uh, I know I've gone through this before, but this is one of those things where when you, when you see it and, and you really see it, it's kind of like, oh, this totally makes sense with the, new, uh, with the New Testament because we are a changed people if we're saved. Okay? It's one thing to say I'm a Christian. It's another thing to possess Christ and have the Spirit of God within you and be a participant in this new covenant. So let me just read these two passages for you, and I'll I'll call out the verses so you know which ones fit where. Verse 31 of Jeremiah 31, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Once again, for uh, remembrance sake, who is he making the covenant with? House of Israel, house of Judah, not with the church. The church is a mystery at this time. It's not been revealed. Now, we are participants in this new covenant, but he didn't make it with us, okay? Uh, important in Romans 9, 10, and 11. Verse 32, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, though I was a husband to them. So if they broke the covenant and he was their husband, uh, that would indicate that they had committed adultery. Jeremiah, I think it's chapter 5, is actually written in the form of a writ of divorcement. Okay? Because of their sins, because of their excuse the expression, whoring around, prostituting themselves to all these other gods, God actually divorces them. Now, God hates divorce. He also hates all of the things that bring it about, okay? Uh, He could not continue to act like nothing happened. Uh, Verse 33, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds. I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. And unfortunately, I forgot to put... Well, I think that's it for there. Uh, how about Ezekiel thirty-six twenty-five through 28? Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. You, you might remember in John chapter 3, Nicodemus visits Jesus at nighttime. And Jesus starts out with, you know, Nicodemus says, hey, we know you're from God, da-da-da-da-da-da. And Jesus, you must be born again. Unless you're born again, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. Kind of like, uh, I didn't have a chance to ask my question. <laughs> you know, one of those kinds of things. And uh, Jesus goes on to say, look, unless you've been born of water and of the Spirit. Most people uh, make that indicate that human birth, the baby, the, wo- the woman's water breaks. It's not talking about that. It's talking about this right here. Notice what he said again. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. This is spiritual new birth. 
Okay, he goes on to say, I will cleanse you from all of your filthiness and from all of your idols. Verse 26, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Uh, If we go back to Romans chapter six, uh, the old man, he died. We're no longer in bondage to him. God has made us a new creature, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Uh, in Ephesians 4, 24, he says, and put on the new man. Well, in, as, in essence, he's talking to Christians. They've already put on the new man. Now they're going to be putting on the conduct of the new man. Here's the description of the new man, which is created after God in true righteousness and holiness. This is this new spirit. It's God created. It's like God. Okay? So if you're born again, that's the new spirit that you have in you. It goes on to say, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within him. I will take out the heart of stone and uh, out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. Now notice that. So we have the indwelling Holy Spirit now, and I will cause you to walk in my statutes. Therefore, the Christian who continues to live in sin, and we'll throw a couple of conditions in there, if there's no discipline from the Lord, and they're continuing to walk in sin, they don't belong to Him. Why? Because I'm going to cause you to walk in my statutes. Now, when you first get saved, what does that mean? We're going to start working on some stuff. I don't know about you, but some of us are hard-headed, and it takes a while to see some of those changes. The initial changes that you ought to see in just about any new believer, a desire to read God's Word. Okay? We kind of tamp that down after a while. We get caught up in focusing on all kinds of other things, and hopefully we had time for our devotions because it's not that important. I can handle it until I can't, and then I'll call on God. Wrong, <laughs> okay? Uh, what did Jesus say? Without me, you can do uh, nothing, okay? When we look at Hebrews 4.16, uh, we can come boldly before the throne of grace to find mercy. Why did we need mercy? Because I done blew it again. (laughs) Okay? And to get grace to help in time of need. Grace is wisdom, strength, all that's necessary to get through whatever you're going through. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. It's that. Uh, No man is tempted uh, beyond what he is able. Never intended for you to go through it by yourself. God's going through it with you. He's given you everything that's necessary to endure it. That's your way of escape. Okay? So all of that comes into play here because you're a new creature. You've been given a new spirit, a new heart. Uh, His spirit uh, is in you, causes you to walk in his statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. Verse 28, then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people, and I will be your God. And I threw verse 28 in there because I want you to see that, again, this is with Israel and Judah, and ultimately he is coming back to work with them and give them the land that he had promised Abraham. So that is the new covenant promises. Letter C, 
trying to keep the old broken one when there is a new one that does everything for you points to ignorance. Okay? If you continue... Well, I'll give you an example that fits in the church. Lynn and I both grew up in what we would call relatively legalistic churches. Now, that's not to put those people down. That's just to understand that if you were going to be accepted by God and, oh yeah, therefore by us, you had to live a certain way. Your hair had to be a certain length. Your skirt, not mine, but hers, had to be a certain length. Uh, Men uh, wore a certain type of clothing. And uh, if you didn't, well, you weren't really accepted. And it's interesting because when we come to the New Testament, by what uh, measure does God accept us? Well, yes, He does accept us as we are, but why? Because we're in Christ. Not because our hair is the right length, our skirt is the right length, or or we're even wearing a skirt because Lynn's home church was, there's no slacks for women. You're wearing a dress or a skirt, okay? So uh, none of that has anything to do with being accepted by God. It's you're in Christ. In fact, Ephesians 1.6 goes on to say, to the praise of the honor of uh, to the praise of the glory of his grace, whereby he has made us accepted in the beloved. Now, why is that important? On what basis do we accept one another? Ah, <laughs> see, that is a form of ignorance to think that someone else has to perform to a certain standard that I've set up that God didn't set up because it is in our fallen nature to have these rules. The rules don't get you in the right place with God. And to continue to try and follow the rules when the only way to get in that accepted position is in Christ is just plain, excuse the expression, stupid. That's what we're seeing with Israel. Now, again, we can talk about God blinded them, and we'll see that in this pa- or later on in this passage, okay? And he did it for a reason, but they also made choices to put them in that situation. So trying to keep the old broken one when there's a new, uh, new one that does everything for you points to ignorance. Number two, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. Uh, verse 4a, he is the only one that have, could, could have fulfilled the old being God in the flesh. Let me give you a couple of reasons here. Hebrews 12.24, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. You might remember Abel brought a sacrifice that was acceptable to God. Uh, Cain didn't, and uh, therefore there was a problem there. In Hebrews 13.20, now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Imagine that. Through his blood, there's an everlasting covenant that we get to participate in whereby we is good with God. 
God is good with us. Now, I say that to the sense that he's accepted us because of the imputed righteousness of Christ, not because we can continue to live the way that we always used to live. Okay, just have to clarify that because there are those preachers these days that it's all about this life here. It's not about a relationship with God, uh, which is a real shame. Notice letter B, the old demanded perfection or death. God is righteous. He, to put it in human terms, cannot abide sin in his presence. You know, if God were to count sin, who could stand, the Psalms say? And of course, the understood answer is no one, because all have sinned. Uh, Amos puts it this way, how can two walk together unless they're in agreement? You look at the division that we have in our country today, and we can blame the politicians for most of it, but people have been plenty a part of it also. But the reality is, is will we ever be able to get past some of those divisions? Only when we come back to truth, okay? That's the reality of the matter. And do I see us as a country coming back to truth anytime soon? Uh... Not as a country, maybe as individuals we might be able to get over some of this stuff, but as a country, no, we're loving the lies, the seduction, the deception, and all that goes with it as a country again, okay? So uh, God demanded perfection or death. The wages of sin is death, but notice he provided both and more. In uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. So here Christ lives the perfect life that none of us could live. And God takes him, takes all of our sin, puts it on Christ. Why? So that he can pay that wage of sin, but it goes on to say that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And I, I know I've already described to you that at the moment of salvation, the Spirit of God baptizes you into the body of Christ, seals you there until the day of redemption. You're now associated with Christ. Just like when we baptize you in water, we dunk you. Some people we hold down a little bit longer. Uh, no, uh, <laughs> we dunk you, and when you come out, you're wet. Why? Because water's wet. Well, in Christ's case, you don't come out. You're so totally associated with him that when God looks at you, he says, my child in whom I am well pleased. Now, now that you're my child in whom I'm well pleased, we're going to be working on this stuff that, uh, <laughs> not so pleasing, but uh, that, that's still what he did. He provided that, that we might be made the righteousness of Christ in him. Uh, letter B, Israel's ignorance of the place of faith. In uh, verses 4b through 10, in other words, the rest of our passage, it says in number one here, righteousness is granted to everyone who believes. Notice, this is the same as uh, Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So righteousness that it comes through this new covenant is to everyone who believes. Letter A, if one could be righteous through the law, they would have to live them out in perpetuity 
and perfectly. Uh, Verse 5 says, For Moses writes about the righteousness that is from the law. The one who does these things will live by them. The idea there is twofold. Number one, you have to do it all the time. And number two, if you're doing it the way God told you to do it, you're going to enjoy all of the blessings, life, uh, that come through them. But notice in Deuteronomy 27, 26, it says, Cursed is the one who does not confirm... That word means abide or accomplish all the words of the law. James 2.10, For whosoever shall uh, keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. He has broken the law as far as we're concerned. He's a lawbreaker. It doesn't matter how good he was on this point over here. He broke this point here. Boom. Because he's not perfect Death is the other option. Okay? Um, Notice letter B. The purpose of the law was twofold. Uh, According to Deuteronomy 28, 1 and 2, it was for Israel to remain in the land of blessing. Deuteronomy 28, 1 and 2 says, Now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. So God had promised, you want to be in a land. This is my land. I'm going to let you live there. And if you want to be there, you do everything that I've told you to do. But he goes on to say that if you don't, uh, I'll, I won't let it rain. I'm going to you're going to have problems with having kids, with your flocks, and, and ultimately, I'm going to take you out, take you out of the land. And of course, ultimately, he did. Uh, number two, the, another purpose of the law was knowledge of sin. It was a tutor that pointed to Christ. Uh, Romans 3.20 says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Galatians 3, 24 and 25. Therefore, the law was our tutor. Now, Paul is talking to Gentiles, but who was the law given to? To the Jews. So who is the our? We're having a big thing with pronouns in this country right now. But who was the our? Obviously, the Jews. The law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith but after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. Now, now, catch that? We're no longer under the tutor. What was the tutor? The law. The law was to let you know you couldn't do it so that when the promised Messiah came, you would look to him. We have looked to him. Therefore, the law is over for us. Okay? We're part of the new covenant. That's an old covenant thing. Uh, Now, if you choose to uh, not work on Saturday because of the Sabbath, hey, good for you. We're going to see in a couple of chapters, if you think everybody should not work on the Sabbath, you're missing the point, okay? Because we're not under the old covenant. That's part of an everlasting covenant with Israel, not with us. Now, if a Jew decides to keep the Sabbath after he knows Christ... 
Hallelujah, good for him. He's in a different kind of covenant with God than we are. Uh, so that's, and again, that's another study altogether. We'll maybe look at it in time on Wednesday night. But the knowledge of sin, uh, the tutor points to Christ. Number two, but the righteousness of faith. Now notice, it's the righteousness of the law compared to the righteousness of faith. The righteousness of faith speaks in this way in verses 6 to 8. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. Uh, see, it's easy when you're talking about uh, trying to live according to the law. There it is all written down for you. But when you take that away, now, uh, well, Christ, yeah, but he's not here. We can't see him. We can't touch him. We, we can't see what he's done. Uh, all, you know, all kinds of excuses. So they feel as though they either have to go up or go down to get him. Th- that's the reason for this uh, particular statement here. But notice, if one uh, could look for Christ in heaven or the depths of the earth, it wouldn't save them. It has nothing to do with thinking or saying uh, things that make no sense. Number three, God's way of salvation has already been clearly and abundantly revealed. Uh, again, we're in chapter 10 of Romans, but chapter 1 I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation. So here's your choices. God can do what's necessary for you to be saved, or you can try and do what's necessary and fail. Now, by the time Romans is written, he's probably probably late 50s, early 60s. The gospel has been being preached now for close to 30 years. It's been clearly revealed. (laughs) We've seen the evidence of the power of the gospel in people's lives by this time. So for someone to sit there and say, well, I will do everything I can to find Christ, they're missing the point. That's the whole point of the passage here. Uh, Number two, uh, excuse me, letter B. Uh, But what does it say in verse eight? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Uh, This statement is basically a quote from Deuteronomy uh, 30, verse 14. The word is near you, in your mouth, in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. What did Paul preach? He preached the gospel. Uh, Over and over and over again, we see it in the letters. I know I've already told you that before we went to Brazil, went around to a lot of gospel preaching churches and uh, trying to raise support and prayer and asked one simple question, what is the gospel? Now, I know I've asked that question here enough times that y'all know the answer, hopefully by rote, hopefully much better than just rote, okay? Reason being is I am still asking that question of people that come into benevolence on a regular basis and even church-going people. Uh, 
It's the Word of God. True story. 31,102 verses, 1,189 chapters. Do you think we could narrow it down a little bit? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Yes, those are the Gospels, but again, a lot of chapters, a lot of verses. Can we narrow it down? Well, it's the good news. Yes, the Gospel is the good news. Would you like to share with me the good news? And even church-going people, they normally get out that Jesus died to pay for sin after I've asked a few more questions. Well, you, you know, you ask God to forgive your sins. On what basis should God forgive your sins? Well, that's why Jesus died. Exactly, okay? But then I ask him, so you worship a dead guy, huh? You don't know how many times I hear yes. Well, yeah. And then they'll think about that. It's kind of like, oh, no, 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 no. He, he, he came back to life. Uh, it's kind of, wow. And, and my whole point is, is this is the word of faith which we preach. And, and the gospel just isn't about you being saved for me 41 years and five days ago. Okay? I just had my spiritual birthday. Okay? It's not just about being saved. It is a message that continues with me throughout my salvation. I am still in need of everything that God has to give me. Okay? It has nothing to do with me. Now that I'm saved, I don't do those kinds of things anymore, and therefore I'm good. No! I'm still in complete need of all that He offers through His grace. Okay, so the gospel still applies to me 41 years and five days later. And it still applies to you how many ever years it is for you. Okay? So that brings us to uh, the second page. Even in the Old Testament, men could only come to God through faith. A uh, verse that I think most of us know here. Uh, and he believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. God had told Abraham that he was going to have a son. Uh, the interesting thing is, is if you look at how this chapter starts, <coughs> excuse me, Abraham is concerned. He just went up against five kings, and he whooped on them. And he's pretty sure these guys are going home to get armies and come back. I don't know about you, but that might be a problem when you had 318 friends and uh, slaves helping you out. Okay, armies normally have more than 300 people. And God comes in and says, hey, Abraham, I want you to know, I'm your shield. I'm your exceeding great reward. Yeah, but I don't have a son. I, I mean, that, that's not the way you respond to, I'm worried about kings coming back and killing me. And what I need right now is a son because, of course, they wouldn't kill him. And God's sitting there saying, I'm going to take care of you. Yeah, but I don't got a son. You're going to have a son. Okay, I believe you. And now he's credited for righteousness. Okay? So even in the Old Testament, uh, men could only come to God through faith. That brings us to our conclusion in uh, verses 9 and 10. I almost said collusion. I've had too much of it in the last five, six years. But uh, conclusion, verses 9 and 10. So what is necessary for a person to be saved? Well, confessions and faith. Notice uh, letter I there. Faith in the person. 
He goes on to say, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Notice the contrast with verse 10. You, that would be the same as a personal invitation, uh, the, general to, uh, the general invitation to all mankind. Verse 10, it says, um, one believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. Notice there's no you there. It's just a, a general statement. In verse 9, he's got, if you confess, if you confess with your mouth uh, that Jesus is Lord. Uh, when we do our communion service, one of the things that pastor emphasizes over and over and over again, and, and some of you might be sitting there going, yeah, we know. No, no, no. This is important. God took on flesh. He became human. He lived that perfect life under, by the way, not very good circumstances. He, he didn't come to the house of the elite. He came to the house of a, a carpenter. Okay? Uh, not only that, a carpenter that normally lives in Nazareth had to go down to uh, Bethlehem, and then shortly thereafter finds out King Herod's probably going to kill my kid, and the wise men have given them, God's provision, everything that they need to keep themselves alive as they move into another country where it's going to take time to establish yourself as a carpenter that someone would want to hire and your needs are all taken care of. And then ultimately, they're moving back up towards Bethlehem. They hear that the son is still around, so or the cousin or the nephew or whoever he is. So they move back up to Nazareth, which, by the way, makes Jesus, uh, Jesus a Nazarene, not a Nazarite. That's just extra. Uh, won't charge you more for it. Okay? So... Uh, we see here, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that God became flesh, that he lived that perfect life. And then notice, true repentance shows itself in action. Many acknowledge Jesus as the Son of God and Lord of the universe, but personal submission is the defining character of true faith. Think with me in uh, James chapter 2, verses 17 to 19. Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God? You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. This verse right here, verse 19, I have to use very often. Uh, why should God let you into heaven? Because I believe in God. The devil believes in God. He's been in heaven. He reports back to heaven regularly. Believing in God isn't sufficient. In fact, if you follow Romans 1 to the next paragraph, everyone knows there's a God. That's not the issue. It is honoring him as God that is the issue. If he says, thou shalt not, if you're truly believing that Jesus is Lord, then you shouldn't be. Now, again, we're not talking about the, the battle we have with the flesh because we believe some of the seduction of Babylon, as Pastor brought out this morning. We're just talking about, look, if you truly believe, there's going to be a change. God's done everything so that there can be a change. And therefore, if there is no change, have you truly believed? Okay. And then, of course, number two, faith in the work 
of the person. Faith in the person is number one. Number two, faith in the work of the person. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. So we see here, first of all, that the resurrection proved who Christ is. Romans 1.4. And you'll notice I'm quoting a lot of verses right out of Romans, right? Well, there's a reason because Paul has given them a theological uh, foundation to believe uh, everything that he's talking about. Romans 1.4 says that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. This, this is the defining difference between true Christianity and every one of the other 4,000 and some odd religions that are out there. Muhammad died. Joseph Smith died. Marietta Baker died. Confucius, uh, she started Christian science. Confucius died. Buddha, he was around 600 years before Christ, died. Christ died and rose again, proving that he is God. And then notice the next thing here. Apart from the resurrection, there is no salvation. 1 Corinthians 15, 17. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. It's vain. You are still in your sins. Uh, I don't know how many of you have heard of the uh, book or the movie, uh, The Da Vinci Code. has absolutely nothing to do with Da Vinci. Well, maybe... Maybe he's mentioned in there. But the whole idea is that Jesus didn't die on the cross. He fainted. Lack of blood and all that kind of stuff. And when he got into the cool of the grave, it revived him. And then he moved off to France with Mary Magdalene and had a son. Uh, Look, if Christ didn't die and rise again, you are still in your sins. The resurrection is so important. And yet, ask most Christians why God should let them into heaven? Because Jesus died for my sins. Don't stop there. He rose again. Notice, you're believing that uh, in your heart that God raised him from the dead. That's the point that it brings out here. It doesn't say that he died for your sins. No, no, that's understood that he rose again. That's what's important here. And then notice in both verses 9 and 10, faith comes from the center of the whole person, the heart. Confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Notice, uh, though the mind is involved, you believe in God, that's good, so does the devil, and he trembles. This is not an intellectual acknowledgement. This isn't uh, going forward and saying, yeah, I believe that Jesus died for me. Okay? This is something that comes from the heart. Uh, and therefore, of course, the heart gets changed. And that's because God is the one that's been working on the heart. And then though the emotions are involved, they are a sign of what God is doing to bring about true repentance. Second Corinthians 7, 9, Now I rejoice. Not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. You know, people get all caught up in, well, I went forward and I made a decision for Jesus. Or, 
I was, God just touched my heart and, and, and there was weeping and gnashing. No, no gnashing of teeth. Uh, <laughs> just a big emotional thing. No, none of that means a thing. It's whether or not they're believing in their heart that God raised him from the dead. And they're acknowledging the person, the person and the work of Christ. So, letter B, how it works in reverse order. So, Paul gives you this general invite. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Now he's going to repeat it, but he just goes through it a little bit backwards here. Notice, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness. The center and most important part of a person. Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Um, Pastor, I, I don't know how everybody else listens to you, but I really appreciated this whole, and, and I know we might talk about the flesh, we might talk about spiritual warfare, but just kind of hooking it all up to Babylon, it's kind of like, and you kept on saying, you know, if you're listening to this, then you're already going there. It's kind of like, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, and this is saying the same kind of thing. Take heed to your heart. You know, I don't know how many times you use the word seduction, to seduce. You know what that's all about? They're lying to you. It's deception. I, I You know, in the political realm, this is a danger to our democracy. We're not a democracy. But if we can convince you that we are, we can start talking about, you know, we don't need the representatives anymore because everybody's got a phone and everybody can just vote on every issue all the time, anytime. So California and New York would determine what's going to happen to the rest of this country. See, that's a democracy. That's mob rule. Yeah, I'm not sure that I want a democracy with California and New York being the representation of what might happen. Well, actually, Chicago and Illinois are kind of coming in there, too. Oh, boy. <laughs> but whole point being is we, we as believers, because we know who Christ is and because we understand what he's done, what he is doing in us now, where we're going, we really need to watch that we're not buying into uh, Babylon's seduction. And, and, and you may have all bought into it in the past at some time or another. Not, you not may have, you have. We all have, okay? But if we're going to be about the business that God has us here for, we need to start recognizing, oh, there's one of those things. Oh, there's one of those things. I'm not going to buy into it. I'm going to start believing the truth, at which point now we start seeing our brother or our sister. Oop, they're buying into it. And we be real careful how we come alongside and trying to be an encouragement to help them not buy into it. We don't want to be legalistic. Go back to that. No, thank you. Okay? They're still accepted by God in Christ. But do you want to follow Babylon's path down that, down that thing or, or not? Or are you going to take heed to your heart uh, with all diligence? Okay? Uh, real righteousness that comes not by the law, verse 5, but by faith, verses 6 through 8, is imputed. In other words, God's the one that's putting it on your account. You are not in any way uh, producing it yourself or... Uh, um, 
doing it. Uh, notice uh, Romans 4, 24 through 25. But also for us, it shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. Notice that raised part again. Notice he was delivered up for our offenses. Where's imputed righteousness at that point? It's not. He was raised for our justification. Ah, that's when righteousness is imputed, when we uh, put our faith in him. And then righteousness is what we become, declared initially. Salvation refers to what we escape. Okay? When we talk about being saved, we're being saved. uh, Well, we've been saved from the condemnation of sin. Now, as we go through the progressive sanctification, we're being saved from the power of sin. It's not that we weren't saved from the power of sin all the way back here, but we're figuring it out as we go. God has freed us, and what do we do? We go back and make those same stupid decisions, believing the same stupid seductions. And then somewhere in the rush, as Pastor pointed out this morning, we start to hate the very thing that we have been messing with for so long because we've been messed with by it for so long. And somewhere in the rush, God gives the grace, opens our eyes to, hey, here's how it happens. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been through that process, and I can't always tell you what changed? I just know that somewhere in a rush, God gave liberty. Hallelujah. When did God give liberty? When I got saved. When did I figure it out? Yeah, along the way. Okay. And someday we're going to be saved from the, uh, from the presence of sin. We're going to see him. We're going to be like him because we're going to see him as he is. I don't know about you, but looking forward Okay, (laughs) okay, but uh, righteousness is what we are declared to be and are becoming through progressive sanctification. Salvation refers to what we escaped. Uh, We're escaping the power of sin. Someday we're going to escape the presence of sin. Number two, Uh, number one, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness. Number two, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. The word confession here, just like everywhere else, homologeo, to assent, that is to covenant, acknowledge, to confess or profess. Uh, The idea is you're agreeing with God. You're saying the same thing as what God says. So you're confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. God is the one that said that. You're agreeing with him. Notice a life that shows salvation is real. That's the result when someone confesses with their mouth. And that, again, it's not just saying words. It's recognizing he's God come in the flesh. He's the boss. And now as a saved person, I walk in submission to him. And then remember that behavior comes from the heart and is spoken of as speech. Now, why is this important? Well, let's look at a couple of verses. Matthew 15, 19. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. Mark 7, 21. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, and murders. Now in the context, he's talking about speech. But notice, it's behavior. Okay? 
If that's what comes from the old heart, what comes from the new heart? Righteousness. And yes, it'll be speech, but it'll also be action. If there's no righteous action coming out of the heart, did you believe with your heart that God raised him from the dead? That's the whole point here. Okay, now, again, chapter 10. Who's he talking to? He's talking to Israel. What did Israel do? Rejected Christ and continued to try and live according to a covenant that they'd already broken. Okay? Um, and they, he's trying to say, hey, you need to come to Christ by faith. And the presumption is that someone's going to sit there and say, well, I'll go and find him. No, no, no. It's believing the message of the gospel. If you do that, God saves the person. So that's what it looks like in the context. Any questions or thoughts? Yes, sir. So we're talking a lot about belief. I love it. Yeah, so belief. Ah. Well, um, you might remember that uh, the disciples came to him later and said, uh, Lord, how come we couldn't cast out the demon? And he says, this one only comes out by prayer and fasting. When did Jesus pray, pray and fast? Not between the time that he met the kid and delivered him from the demon, right? But that was his way of life. He was always in uh, contact with the Father. But when he uh, talks to the Father, if you'll only believe, and he says, Lord, I believe. Intellectually, I know you can do it. But I've just seen your disciples fail how many times? And I've had to live with this for how long? There's a part of me that I don't believe. But I want to. And, okay, I, I think that's the, probably the best way. Uh, for those that are at home, the Mark chapter 9 passage where the boy has uh, got a demon and Jesus, uh, the disciples can't cast him out. Jesus comes down. The man asks Jesus and uh, he says, if you only believe, he says, I believe, help my unbelief. I don't know about you, but I believe that God can do anything. Oh, Lord, help my unbelief the next time something doesn't go the way I think it ought to go. Uh, because though I believe he can do anything, will he do what I need him to do when I want him to do? Not necessarily. Uh, Mike? Uh, well, again, if God has given you everything at the moment of salvation, does faith grow or do you understand more and therefore believe? I, I think you've been given all the faith you need and now you, as, as you grow in your understanding of who God is, you kind of open the window to see more of it while God's opening it up. But so, yeah, it's progressive in that sense. You've, you've got it all. It's not as though you're going to go out and get another 25-cent bag or something. Larry? Yeah. Oh, uh, Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I talk about Jesus, First uh, Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, just like God said he would in the Old Testament, and that he was buried. I go, why did they bury him? People look at me and I go, because he was dead. That's what you do with dead people. You bury him. And that he rose again the third day according to the Scripture, just like God said he would. But yeah, uh, they, they would have to be pretty incompetent if they couldn't figure out uh, I don't think this guy's dead, <laughs> you know. But no, he was dead. They stabbed him in the chest with a spear, 
Hello? <laughs> so, okay, well, let's close in prayer and uh, let you go. And see you Wednesday night, unless you're serving in a Juana, Larry. Let's pray. <laughs> Father, we thank you so much for the gospel, the good news, that which you have opened our eyes and our ears to and changed us. Lord, thank you for the forgiveness that we have in Christ Jesus for being so spiritually slow at times. But thank you for continuing to open our eyes. And we ask, Lord, that you would continue to reveal yourself to us, that we may walk by faith, not once in a while, but that our lives would so shine before men that they may see the good works that you do through us and glorify you. Thank you again for all that you've done, all that you're doing. We look forward to when it's finally going to come to its end. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. All right, you are dismissed. Have a good God-honoring week.